The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, those of your own TV, local local communities, staff, or management. We appreciate advice presented by educational in nature, and your intent to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investments. Good afternoon, I am Bina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the only show on public radio dedicated to the proposition that you too can become financially independent through real estate investing. And in my quest to make Real Life Real Estate Investing more popular than bacon, we now officially have reached the 80 mark in fans. We've got 80 fans, 80 fans on fa- on our Facebook page, realliferealestateradio.com. 80. Now, Bacon was up to 25,000 last time I w- looked. So we got a little more work to do, folks. Tell all your friends, realliferealestateradio.com. Need to get on there and get themselves signed up as fans because you know Real Life Real Estate Radio is more delicious and twice as salty as Bacon. RealLifeRealEstateRadio.com. Also there on RealLifeRealEstateRadio.com, we now have posted over 100 archived real-life real estate shows. It's like a whole library of free education for our wonderful fans. And, of course, we're also looking for you to uh, go to that site and post suggestions for upcoming shows. We'll have been doing this show for 12 years in April. And ladies and gentlemen, I am out of ideals. you got to tell me what you need to know to make your real estate career move on to the next level. I know that one of the most important topics on everyone's mind these days is bank-owned properties. All of those REOs, we call them, real estate-owned sitting around on the market. Huge topic of conversation. Everybody's saying REOs are where it's at. And when they say that, of course, they are being grammatically incorrect, but I'm just repeating what they say. Uh, So today on Real Life Real Estate, I have rounded up not one, but two of the top insiders in the REO market here in the greater Cincinnati area. We can bring investors on here all day long to talk about REOs, but don't you really want to hear from the folks who are working both with the investors on the one side and the banks on the other, Steve Elbert and Tom Rubens, between them. Well, I haven't done the math, but I'm guessing that between the two of you, there's 30-plus years of experience out in the out in the REO field. They're both real estate agents who both work with lenders as their listing people, customers, and also with real estate investors who want to buy the properties. And they are here today to give you the inside scoop. And I mean the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've talked to these guys before the show, and they've got some um, opinions that you might not fully like, but are, um, you know, the reality of the situation. Going to introduce them in just a minute, invite you to give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658, or of course to go to askvina.com, send your... Uh, email questions in that away and the earlier you do that the better the chance we're going to get it before we leave the studio here and you're going to get your questions answered um steve i'm going to start with you let you give a little brief introduction of yourself what you do how you got into this whole reo game and then we'll do the same with tom and then we will just head on into what is the best way for us to make money in this market uh well uh i'm steve elbert um i'm uh, the broker at uh, around town realty uh, I've been a um, realtor for 26 years, so I'm 
almost a to good, 30 all by yourself, almost, aren't you? Almost to 30 by myself. Um, I've been a broker with that company uh, for almost 15 years. Wow. So, um, yeah, we've been around the block a couple of times. Um, we, um, we represented uh, HUD in Butler County for, I think it was about six years um, when they started selling their uh, properties. Um, and and uh, for the listeners who aren't aware, HUD HUD is where FHA foreclosures end up. I mean, HUD is HUD and FHA are effectively the same thing, correct. but we always we don't call them FHA foreclosures; we call them HUD foreclosures. Right. Um, so we um, we represented them in Butler County for for a number of years, and um, I guess that was uh, that was the start of the specialty, if you will, in in REOs for me. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. And now you, uh, in addition to representing various banks as their agent, you also work with, uh, I, I think your preference is really kind of high-level investors who are buying multiple properties. Uh, not every agent, you know, many agents will represent you if you just want to go buy your first property, but you sort of like to head toward the investors who are going to be doing 20 deals this year <laughs> as opposed to the one who's going to do one. Obviously, we, you know, we love those folks because... You know they'll they'll they're they're experienced. They know what they want, um, and you know multiple deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got several of those folks. Okay, Tom. Yes, Vina. <laughs> <laughs> same same question. Who are you? What you? What, how how did you get into this uh, REO business? Well, um, my name is Tom Rubens, and I'm with Trio Realtors, <laughs> and I focus my attention on REOs. Uh, my two primary clients are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who are probably the two largest players in, in selling property in the Cincinnati area, Cincinnati and Dayton. I actually, in the whole country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I haven't been doing this quite as long as Steve has. Uh, I actually came over from the dark side. I used to buy, fix up, and sell properties on my own as an investor. And uh, I, f- I believed that I, I would enjoy, I originally got my real estate license just to save money on commissions. Mm-hmm. Um, Shortly after I, I executed that plan, I decided I'd really rather be on this side of the table. Mm-hmm. I think it's a tough time. I don't think anybody would be surprised to hear me say that it's a tough time to be a real estate investor in this market. And I much prefer uh, representing uh, the sellers as well as buyers, but I prefer to myself to be on the sidelines and not be an investor. It's much more easy. It's much easier for me to be objective for both sides if I'm not doing that myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Now, Bank on properties. Those of us who have access to the MLS, if you go in and and put in as a prospect handyman specials, bank on properties now make up ninety five percent, perhaps, of all of the properties on the market that are the investor type properties that we want. The single, two, three family homes that are not in great condition that we can pick up for uh, not too terribly much money at, at, at a price at which we can make a profit. Uh, I'm not sure that all the investors out there really understand that, though that although bank-owned properties is a term that we use to sort of blanket the whole thing, an FHA bank-owned property is different than a Fannie Mae bank-owned property uh, in, in, in a lot of different ways, in, in terms of what you're likely to find, but more importantly, in terms of things like the bidding process. So I'd like to, since I've got some experts in here on these things, I'd like to, to again, start with you, Steve, and talk about a little bit about how like HUD 
the HUD bidding process is different than what you might consider to be a more typical uh, REO bidding process? Um, they're, I mean, they're they're fairly similar in that um, both of them require uh, some earnest money. Um, HUD's pretty specific in the amounts that they require versus, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, somewhat might be somewhat negotiable. Uh, a bank owned might be somewhat negotiable. Um, they are pretty inflexible. Um, the amount of time that they give you to close, they give you 45 days. Most of the banks want to close in 30 days these days. Um, you know, um, uh, other than that, other than the paperwork, uh, it's it's a separate set of paperwork. It's it's not a board contract. It's it's HUD's special contract, and they tell you in about fifty places that it's as is. That that you know they they make you sign mold waivers and uh, and uh, lead paint waivers and 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 all the the stuff in addition to what you might get with a normal bank owned property, although they'll have some addendums uh, also. What about inspections? That's always the big issue with an investor who's going to go out and make offers on 10 REO properties this week, hoping that one of them will turn out to be accepted. Uh, Often the first round, they're just doing a look through. They're just saying, basically, what does this house need approximately? What do I think it's going to need in repairs? And their expectation is that once that offer is accepted, they will have five days, ten days, something like that, to go in and really get an inspection. HUD, it seems to me, goes back and forth on whether they think that's a good thing. It seems like some years, yeah, we can have an inspection, and some years, no. Um, You can have an inspection. Um, They make it a little difficult for you. Um, They give you basically 15 days to do that. Um, The the water's off. the, The power's off all the time. Um, so you have to actually send them $100. Um, they hold that in trust for you. Um, you go in, call the water company, the, the, the power company, turn on the utilities in, in your name. You pay for it. And then um, do your inspection. And when you're done, you have to rewinterize the property. Um, you know, uh, and they come back and they check to see that you've done it. And if you've done it correctly, they give you your hundred dollars back. And you began this sentence by saying they make it a little difficult on yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Very good. We need to take a quick break. I want to remind listeners that I have in the studio with me, not one, but two experienced REO agents. If you have questions that you've been wishing that you could ask someone who could not then reach across the table and punch you, this is your chance. 772-9658. 877-777. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Our topic today is sort of the inside secrets of the REO agents. I have two folks here in the studio with me, Steve Elbert from Around Town and Tom Rubens from Trio. Trio. Uh, Realty, and uh, they're both here in the Cincinnati area, but I can tell you that uh, their experience sort of applies to all over the country because these guys have both worked with some of the biggest bank clients in the country. 
Um, as Steve was mentioning earlier, he has uh, had some some fairly widespread experience with HUD as well as being a buyer's agent on the other side of things. Uh, Tom works with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who, of course, have got, undergone some major changes in the past, what, six months, I guess, been nationalized effectively. Uh, and being the largest secondary buyers in in the real estate market just have an enormous number. I mean, they, they just had more mortgages. So, of course, they're going to have more bank-owned properties. And, and during the, the, the break, Tom, you were saying that the process for bidding on the properties that you list is completely different than what Steve was just saying. Right. When you're buying a, uh, a listed bank-owned property, whether it's Fannie, Freddie, or any of the smaller lenders and, and guarantors, the process is the initial part of the process is very similar to the process of buying a regular uh, house that's listed by Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You use a standard contract. Uh, you submit all the documents that are generally required, whether it's a lead-based paint, uh, all the the sellers in this case, however, do not. They, since they've never lived in the house, they don't have any um, any knowledge of the condition of the house, and they certainly make those th- that fact clear in the contracts. But when you submit your contract, just about every REO agent that I know in Cincinnati and Dayton has very specific conditions that are that are that are either on their website or actually in the agent remarks on the MLS listing. And probably one of the biggest problems that buyers have is if they're using an agent that is not familiar with the process, they end up dramatically slowing and in some cases just blowing uh, their deal because every bank is different and every REO agent handles his, his listings differently. But most banks require very, very specific things to be submitted with the offer. You're going to have to submit an earnest money check. Most REO agents will tell you right on the listing sheet how much that has to be and to whom it needs to be made out. It's generally needs, it generally needs to be made out to the listing agent. All documents have to be signed uh, by the actual buyer of the home. So if you're buying a house with your spouse, both people have to be on the contract. If they're not, the bank's just going to reject it or it's going to make it very difficult when part two comes along. If you're fortunate enough that your offer is accepted, then all the documents are going to have to be changed with the addenda that that come. Because basically, and this is another thing that I think most investors should understand, the initial contract that is submitted to the REO agent, you can put all the conditions on there that you want. You can have your inspections and say that you want this working and that working. But what's going to happen is if your offer is accepted, you're going to get an addendum back from the bank that says you're buying this property as is, where is, you know, like it or not. And so whatever, you know, fancy things that your that your uh, real estate agent may have put in there, they're meaningless because the addendum clearly states that it supersedes any other document. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to make a point um, we are in the habit in the in the uh, agent business of saying when your REO contract gets accepted, the truth is no REO contract ever gets accepted. It gets countered. The the price gets accepted, but the addendum represents a counter. And if you are if you are seeing that addendum for the first time, which is the case most of the time, I put in my offer, they said yes to the price, but then they changed the terms. That is not truly an acceptance, it's truly a counter. And and I, I get run into a lot of investors that are like, Oh my god, the bank changed everything. What do I, hey, if you don't like it, it was a counter. That is so true, and it, it's unfortunate that more agents don't realize it. You're absolutely right. What they get back is a counter, and they can always, at that point, when they see the addenda, they can say no. Mm-hmm. And no harm, no foul, they get their earnest money back, and they go on their merry way. Mm-hmm. But what, what's important to remember is that the contract that they sent in 
to the bro the the listing agent the listing broker is not the contract it's just a you know it, a suggestion. it's a prelude <laughs> to what's real what what really happens is it's a beta version yes of it's the a beta version of the contract exactly. <laughs> okay guys let's 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 walk through this process then from from beginning to end because uh, as you mentioned, there are a lot of extra pieces of documentation that end up going with some of these contracts that literally the offer is not going to be submitted without it. And we're going to get a call, I promise you. Someone's going to call us and say, but don't agents have to present every contract? Actually, if their listor says, I need documents number A through F, otherwise don't show me the contract, the agent is not doing his job by submitting the contract. So. Yeah, agents have to submit contracts as long as they are complete and the way that the seller wants them to be. Absolutely true. And let me just also mention here that a, a big responsibility, I, I, it's very easy to understand that uh, particularly for new investors, and we deal with a lot of new investors both on the buy side when we represent buyers and on the sell side when we represent our sellers. And it's very easy if, if you're a new investor to, to just not understand the process. But let me just give you a couple things that a new investor should know and do uh, when they're submitting their offer. First of all, understand that you're buying the property as is. Uh, so don't go looking at a, at, a, at an REO property thinking that you're buying Mr. and Mrs. Smith's house, and if there's a problem, they're going to fix the plumbing or they're going to fix the paint because it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Number two, all, I, it is very rare today that I list a property that will pass an FHA inspection. So if your agent lets you submit an offer and has your and and you are submitting it and and the mortgage contingency is for an FHA loan. You'll probably get either nothing in response or a flat-out rejection without a counter because there is no point negotiating with someone who's trying to get an FHA loan for a property that can't pass an FHA inspection. That's probably one of the biggest problems that we see with uh, new investors and particularly actually with uh, new agents mm -hmm. where they'll submit an FHA uh, offer and then, then they can't understand why the, you know two months will pass. They'll see that the house sold for $10,000 less than their offer. And, and of course, they get angry. They get yeah. angry. And of yep. course, they think that you know something untoward has happened. And mm -hmm. all that has happened is their offer wasn't accepted because the terms weren't acceptable to the seller. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, here, so, so the process is this. We start out the same way that we'd start out with any deal, which is we're going to go look at the property, do our little evaluation, come up with our offer. Then depending on whether we're doing an FHA offer or a VA offer, which requires its own set of contracts, or a Fannie Mae or some other bank type of offer, in which case we use the board contract, we submit the offer. And with that offer, we're going to be submitting an earnest money check in the amount of whatever the agent has said the seller wants. We're going to be submitting a proof of funds letter or a pre-approval letter. Let's talk about that because that's I, I know that you guys get those offers all the time and they they're not they don't come with the pre-approval letter or they don't come with the proof of funds letter. Steve, can you explain what those things are and why the banks want them so badly and why we have to submit them? Sure. Um, proof of funds basically says, you know, here's my bank statement. Um, you know, there's there's enough in my account to cover it, and I'm going to pay cash for the property, which happens pretty frequently. Um, or we've got a line of credit. And we've got a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. We're buying a seventy thousand dollar house. We've got enough to 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 pay for the property. Um, if if they're not paying cash, um, they can submit. You know, if they, if it's a financing offer, they can submit a a, a pre approval letter, and the pre approval letter needs to say that 
you know, basically these people are going to get their loan this way and this way, whether it's FHA, whether it's VA, whether it's a conventional loan. Um, they're going to put so much down um, is sometimes important, and that they'll they'll qualify for the amount of the the, the purchase price or more. And um, you know, you like to have somebody that you actually know. Um, you know, sometimes you get these pre-approval letters and they haven't checked credit, they haven't, you know, they haven't done any due diligence, and they just, you know, some bank just writes a, a letter. And then you, you you go two weeks later, and then you find out that they, of course, didn't qualify. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. so we got the earnest money check. We got the pre-approval letter. We got the contract signed by everybody who needs to be signing it. Uh, there may be other documents. There, the, 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 one of the really important things to make sure that uh, you check out is, or have your agent check out, is if there is something on the MLS sheet that says additional docs, <laughs> that, that because that's usually a link through to some other documentation uh, that's required to go through. And, and um, like, like uh, um, Tom, I know that you, you just list an enormous number of properties. You have a lot of balls in the air at any given time in terms of what's listed, what offers are coming in, and you just have like this check sheet. That if we don't turn something in, we get the the check sheet back, and it says you're missing this, this, and this. <laughs> well, and that really, actually, selfishly, originally we started doing that because it was just impossible to to actually submit offers when one agent would submit a documentation their way, another agent would do it their way. So for our benefit, we we we, we made certain rules, and now it, it really seems the response that we're getting from agents is that they prefer it. Now they at least know what the rules are, and and it's very pretty easy to to to. Uh, to obey the rules and to submit these offers, and they get much more timely responses. But I wanted to go back to one thing that that Steve was just addressing in terms of um, pre-approval letters and uh, proof of funds. One of the issues that is happening as we speak with pre-approval letters is as banks are having more and more difficulty finding the money to loan, and as terms are becoming much, much more difficult for buyers to, uh, to, to agree to, What's happening is even a, a, a pre-approval letter with someone with good credit, we're still seeing those deals fall apart uh, as we get to the closing table uh, far more often than we would like, which, again, to a new investor, that is why banks prefer cash offers. That is why I mean, uh, this happened. Uh, uh, in fact, just this week, to use a, a real live example, we had a, a townhouse listed for $53,000 in Westchester. We had multiple offers. In Westchester? In Westchester. Okay. For, the, for those of you who are listening around the country, that's like one of the more expensive suburbs of Right. Cincinnati. Not one of the more expensive townhouses, but definitely <laughs> one of the more expensive areas. And so it was listed for $53,000 in fairly poor condition. And we had multiple offers. We had uh, one offer of $55,000 that was uh, conventional financing. We had various other offers, and then we had a cash offer for $48,000. Cash won. Mm-hmm. In fact, they didn't even negotiate. They went straight to the cash offer and accepted the cash offer. Didn't say, well, we want forty nine five. They just took the cash offer because the, the, the proof of funds was clean. There were no inspections, and the guy wanted to close in two weeks. That puts him at such an advantage over a new investor who needs to get funds to, to buy property. So, ladies and gentlemen, whether you're a new investor or experienced investor, what I'm hearing is line up your private lenders, line up your partners, line up your lines of credit, 
stop trying to go in for heaven's sakes with FHA <laughs> offers. Absolutely. We need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ed from Oregon, and we're also going to talk to you if you give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Good evening and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guests today, Steve Elbert and Tom Rubens. We got two smart people in the studios talking about what it's like from the agent's side of the whole REO thing. And uh, we are indeed sitting here in the dark. Um, the lights went out. And I just want to remind everybody that fun drive's coming up and that, you know, the station apparently needs money for light bulbs. So when that rolls around, we've got to you know, make sure that everybody's contributing. Uh, don't forget to go to our fan site at realliferealestateradio.com, which, by the way, has grown by four fans while we have been on the air. So we are now only 24,915 behind bacon. <laughs> We're doing good. We're doing good. Tell all your friends. We're also uh, taking your calls at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Or you can uh, send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go to the phones and talk to Ed, who is calling from Oregon. Ed, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Ed, are you there? We may have lost Ed. We did leave him hanging on the phone for a little while. But uh, again, our numbers are 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Uh, got a, an email via the asking at gmail.com. Uh, uh, what do you call those things? Web address. Um, email address. <laughs> uh, two questions actually from Dorn in Fishers, Indiana. Number one, is Ohio's MLS access available via the web by non-agents or must we search through an agent? I could only guess, and my guess is that you have to search through an agent. But I, 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 I'm guessing you might know the answer to that, Vina, more than I would. Well, generally, for almost all the big companies now have sort of a, a public online access. The problem is that it's not real searchable. If you, if you know what address you're looking for or you know you're looking for a certain zip code and a certain number of bedrooms, that's one thing. But if you're looking for REOs, it's very difficult through any of those sites to just go in and say, show me the bank-owned properties. Uh, and, I, and I think that's true throughout much of the country now. Actually, Vina, that... that Segues right into something that I did want to address. We were t when you talk about people who are out of town investors, and uh, Steve and I were talking during the break about that. And uh, I get, I used to get more, but I still get a couple calls a week from out of town investors looking to buy property in the Cincinnati and Dayton areas. And uh, for the most part, even though you know, I, I'm you know, my job is to, to to sell property for my sellers and to buy property at the best price for my buyers. My, my Almost every single time my response is, if you're living in California or, or like Ed from Oregon, if you're, if you're living in Oregon and you're looking to buy property in another market, it, I think it is – actually, I think it's somewhat presumptuous to assume that from you know, 2,000 miles away, you can find a bargain in Cincinnati or Dayton when there are professional investors out there every single day doing nothing but buying, fixing up, and selling property. So I would encourage any investor – to focus on their area of expertise, which is probably going to be within two or three miles of their front door. And here in Cincinnati and Dayton, 
by all means, I would encourage investors to be looking for a property that they can make money, that they can invest in, certainly. I, I think real estate can be a really valuable investment. But when you're buying property from out of town, you're at such a severe disadvantage, especially if you're buying just one. You buy one or two properties in Cincinnati, you live in California, and then you're going to fix it up and, and you pray that the copper is still there and that and your, your, your tools are still there when you come back to work. Well, and it's too much to ask of a real estate agent. Absolutely. To, 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 to say, I, am, I, I don't know the market. I'm putting it on your head to, to tell me that I've made a good deal, to tell me that, to estimate repairs. We're not trained to do that. To find me contractors, to, 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 to. So I think, I think the strategy actually works. And, and I know, Steve, you've got, you've got clients who do this from the other side. They sell to out-of-town investors. But it's, it's because they provide a team on the ground. And the team is not your right. real estate agent. Your, the team is your property manager, your contractors, your, you know, on and on and on. Right. Absolutely. And you're also dealing with, in Steve's case, if, if you're going to buy 100 properties, totally different story. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're hanging out in the stratosphere at that right. point. But for a, a, a beginning investor to buy a few properties, it's a recipe for disaster if you're doing it from out of town. Well, how many times yes. have you seen the title searches come back on these REOs that you're representing and the previous owner lived in California? <laughs> Uh, seriously, seriously, yeah. because they, they get in over their heads because they don't. I, I have heard them say things to me like, I bought this property in Fairmount, which is a, a, a purely rental, you know, very close to the city neighborhood. And I paid nineteen five for it and I didn't see how I could lose. Well, the way you can lose is it's worth $3,000. And I know this isn't California. Okay. Ed from Oregon may or may not be back. He was back, but we're going to give him a try. Ed, are you there? I sure am. Am hey, I here? Ed. Yes, yes. Did you have a question for our REO agents today? Yeah, I had three questions. Can they handle three, or is that too well, many to squeeze in? We'll see. <laughs> three quick okay. ones, maybe. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Um, first off, I want to know um, if it's better to make an offer directly um, through a buyer's agent or directly to the REO listing agent. That's my first question. Uh, yeah, and let's, let's tackle that one because that's a really good one. I think we might have different opinions here at the table even. What do you think, guys? We'll start with you, Steve. Um, I mean, uh, yes and no. Um, <laughs> it, um, you know, most REO agents don't want the kind of the conflict of interest, if you will. Um, if I'm representing a bank and I'm bringing them a contract, uh, sometimes they look at that as 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 an issue. Um, so a lot of a lot of the REO agents, uh, you know, either want the the buyer for a property that um, that's you know somebody else's listing, or um, you know, uh, the other side of the coin is that you know you know the property, you know it better than probably anybody out there, and um, you know if it comes on the market, uh, you can certainly get kind of first shot at it. So, so on the one hand, on the one hand, the listing agent knows about the property sort of earlier than other people do, and so on. But on the other hand, there's there's, there's listing agents who just won't represent buyers exactly. in in REO transactions. Exactly. And and I would tell you that uh, as a as a both an REO agent and as a buyer's representative, I will represent both sides. But I I would encourage you, uh, whether you use the agent for the property or whether you find an agent that's going to represent you, that you be pretty consistent. If you if you are the kind of guy that uh, I, I, well, let me let me rephrase that. 
make sure you trust your agent. If you if you have a I would interview agents, whether the person is listing the property or, or not. You may find that you might buy a property from Steve that he's listed uh, and then develop a relationship with Steve. And then by all means, if you trust Steve, use him for all your other REO properties as well. Uh, because you need an expert. You need an expert on the ground. And uh, whether, that a- that, whether that expert is the listing agent or an agent that you've used before, as long as you have a competent, honest agent, I think you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 th- I think I would agree with both of these guys and, and say there's pros and cons to either one. The, the thing that I like about having a buyer's agent is you get into a rhythm with them. You know, on Mondays, you send me the new listings. On Tuesdays, we look at them. On Wednesdays, we make the offers. On Thursday and Friday, you tell me they were all rejected. And that's, well, okay, 19 out of 20 of them were, were rejected. And so that's, that's kind of convenient. Okay, Ed, that was number one. What's number two? Number two is that we heard a, a real estate instructor, not Vina. Um, say the, uh, one possible way of buying an REO um, if you're not really wanting to use your own money, though you may have fin- available financing, a letter of credit, whatever, is um, go ahead and make a, an offer um, to the lender. And then at some other later point, um, if you're going to have a, a, like a, um, a cash partner or whatever, just add their name into the contract by addendum and then write, um, later on, right before it closes, just to get your name off, and you just pocket it like an assignment fee. Uh, yeah. Ed, I can answer that one really <laughs> clearly. No way. I, I know Vina well enough to know she didn't recommend that on the air either, so that's <laughs> probably a mis- misunderstanding. There's no way you can pull that one off. Yeah. Most of the most of the contracts, the, the addendums now say that, that you can't assign it, so... Um, that's well, yeah. this is not what they're advocating is not an assignment. Uh, what they're advocating is coming in at, by addendum as a with a cash partner. I mean, uh, 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 I guess a somebody who's being added into the transaction with you. I, I understand. And then, I understand what they're trying to accomplish here, Ed. And I I will I will tell you I have never tried what it is you are suggesting. But I can tell you, having closed 10 REO deals in the last 15 weeks, that that is going to throw the agent, the title company, and the asset manager for such an incredible loop that you are just not going to get away with it. It's just not going to happen. And if for any reason you are able to get away with it once, it will be the first, last, and only time you do it with that, with that selling agent, you can be sure. Okay. Yeah. So third question, Okay, that Ed. sounds plausible. Third question. Okay. And um, this is a question to both them and maybe Davina too. Uh, what's the, the best way to uh, wholesale REOs that you're that you have an accepted contract with the lender, and you know you're, you're lining up an end buyer for it on the other end, or, or maybe if you can explain what that process would be. Well, Ed, first let me just tell you that if you're buying a Fannie Mae property right now you're going to find that there's going to be an addendum to that property that's going to say that you can't sell or refinance the property for more than 20% of what you paid for it. 20% for ni- over what you paid for it. Excuse me. Thank you. For more than 20% more than what you paid for it for 90 days. So you okay. can – that's number one. Number two, if you're talking about wholesaling, that's fine if you're looking to sell it to your friend, but you certainly can't list it when you don't own it. So you're sit- well, sure. So you're going to have a fairly limited universe of people to whom you'll be able to wholesale this property. Uh, it would be like a buyer's list. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, and, and actually I think, I think the nature of Ed's question is really given that the contracts are non-assignable, and that would be the normal preferred way to wholesale something. 
uh, what's the easiest way to do it? And I'll tell you, you're not going to like this answer, Ed, but the easiest way to do it is close it and then resell it. Right. Have 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 a private lender or a partner or someone who's going to step into the deal, get it bought, and then if you sell it again 15 minutes later, other than Fannie Mae, who does care, <laughs> the the other lenders don't care and they're not going to do anything about it. Uh, they're probably so be like a back to back or simultaneous close. Exactly with 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 two separate checks. You're not going to get away with the double close where the buyer's bringing the money into the closing to close for you so that you can sell it to him anymore. Right. No, no, no. I'm, t- I'm talking about I'm talking about a wet closing. Yeah, there are whole there are whole I mean tons of brand new companies springing up all over the country that exist for the purpose of loaning you money for 24 hours so that you can wholesale REO deals. Right. Transactional right. funding. Yeah, we're, exactly. we're 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 working with one right now. I just Exactly. Okay. okay, Ed, see, you got all three questions in before the break. Congratulations. <laughs> and thanks for your call, and be sure to become a fan on realliferealestateradio.com. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Billy in Northern Kentucky, answer another couple of questions via email, and maybe have time to answer your question at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Hey, kids, it's Mr. Drew. Do you want to know more about real estate investing and hear about upcoming events? Check out Vina's website at realliferealestate.com. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guests, plural today in the studio, Steve Albert and Tom Rubens, both big-time successful local real estate agents here in town and also um, very experienced in working with REOs. Uh, This is, boy, there is just a wealth of knowledge in here, boys and girls. If you are not calling up with your questions, you're making a big mistake. Don't call me next week and say, what would those guys have said about... Because I'm just not going to tell you. I'm just not going to even answer your question if you start a sentence like that. 772-9658-877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com are all ways to contact us during this program. Let's go ahead and go back to the phones and talk to Billy in Northern Kentucky. Billy's gone. Okay. Uh, Very good. Let's go back to the emails and talk to, um, let's see, Dorn again. Just getting questions just right and left from Dorn here. What, gentlemen, are the ramifications of withdrawing an REO, uh, an offer to an REO uh, listing to a bank? You know what he's asking. He's asking about the earnest money. You know he is. And, well, I, I would answer that. And I, I'm sure Steve, with his experience with, with HUD, would have a, a, a different perspective. But my perspective is if you submitted a cash offer and you changed your mind, uh, say goodbye to your, your earnest money. If you submitted a, a, an offer with a uh, mortgage, and you didn't, you for whatever reason weren't able to secure the funding. You're going to get your money back if you prove that that's the reason that you left, mm-hmm. uh, because most contracts are contingent upon getting financing, uh, at least the ones that aren't cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would just wa- as as long as you didn't do anything to violate the contract, you will get your earnest money back. And the fact is, I I, I know I can speak for Steve and just about everybody else that's in this. I, I, I'm not here to take somebody's $500 earnest money, uh, that, and neither is the bank. They're here to sell properties. So if, if everybody's operating above board, you're going to get your money back. I want to talk about sort of the realities of you guys' life, because there's 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 this whole, you go to a real estate investors association meeting, and there's people standing in the corner naming names of agents that they're like, this one doesn't submit contracts, and this one I can't ever get on the phone, and this one, this one never calls me, he just sends me faxes. And I think part of what's going on there is just a complete 
misunderstanding of what is going on in the world and what is going on in your business today because you guys are not dealing with a standard seller that you know you call them up and you tell you you ask to come over their house and submit the offer and then you sit and tell them the pros and cons of it and they've just got the one house so you're really trying to get it sold for them that is not what things are like in the business of somebody who is listing a lot of REOs um Tell them how tell them how offers are actually physically submitted to banks. Most of the banks anymore, um, you know, you send it basically via email. Um, you know, you've got an asset manager. Um, that asset manager might have a hundred, two hundred, three hundred properties. I don't know how many they have. Um, you know, you, you type in all the information to them. If you've got multiple offers, we're 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 typing in. You know, multiple offers. It's so much cash, so much financed. Uh, here's their terms, and um, you know, letting them make the decision. So the so the the 19 pages of digital photos that I took of the house to show you in what bad shape it is aren't actually going to the bank. Bummer. Yeah, they complete waste of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's probably a waste of time. Yeah, they uh, they they've already gotten photos from us. We've we've taken photos of the property, and and um, you know, they kind of know. You know what it looks like, so the the photos are kind of yeah. And again, you have to. This is not a standard seller. This is not someone who's actually going to be influenced by your arguments about the house next door or the how they've they've got. Deutsche Bank has its own system for deciding how much to sell a property for and when. And the best we can really do is put our offer out there and see if it flies. And Vina, I would say that a, cu- a couple things here. First of all, and and I, I would caution all buyers that are buying bank-owned properties, don't take it personally because the bank isn't taking it personally. The bank doesn't care who you are. They they don't care about all the pictures that you sent in. It's strictly a dollars and cents question. And when they take when it, some banks take two or three days to get back to a to a buyer, some banks do it instantly. By instantly, I mean within a few hours. And some banks never get back to you. It's never personal. So one of the the things that you that that I would caution those people that you're talking about who are standing in the corner is. If they're reacting that way, the chances are is because they're taking it personally. Don't. It has nothing to do with you. They do thousands of houses a year. The second thing is, and I, having dealt with you, Vina, before, I know that that you're probably well aware a lot of this comes from their agent. Mm-hmm. If your agent is sophisticated and knows how to submit a bank-owned property, they probably don't have that issue. They don't have complaints about this agent or that, uh, this REO agent or that REO agent. But when you're dealing with a, 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 a real estate agent that is not familiar with the REO process, they frequently chafe because this isn't what they're used to. They didn't get a nice call back from the REO agent saying, thank you so much for submitting the offer. Right. And also, you know, let's face it, we are really in a buyer's market. So an agent that brings in an offer thinks, well, it's a buyer's market. You should be you should be dropping everything from me. Well, the fact is I would like to, but I can't, and neither can the bank. I mean, that if they've got thousands of properties across the country, and they can't stop for yours. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, if, you, if you're working with an experienced REO agent, you're not likely to have that kind of problem with uh, – uh, with submitting your offers and not getting any kind of response. And if you are having a problem, you need to look at what the agent's doing. Let's go back to the phones and try line three, Billy in Northern Kentucky again. Billy, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, everyone. Hi, Billy. Hi. Hello, Billy. Hi. Uh, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. 
uh, I'm actually calling uh, because I've been submitting a lot of offers lately, and they've they've been low. But I I, I read that you're supposed to submit them, you know, low offers. Just do it, you know, I don't know, every two weeks or so, and you know, eventually the banks will take them. Is that does that still work? Well, okay. Let's let's define what you mean by low, Billy. Are you are you going through some kind of formula to say this is basically about uh, you know half of what they're asking? Oh, Billy, that's a mistake. Billy, I'd actually before we even answer your question, if if your if your uh, determinant is well, I'm going to offer half what the bank is asking. What you're not, what you may be missing is what the actual value is, because you're assuming that the ratio would be fifty percent. Well, sometimes a bank may have a price insanely over a property insanely overpriced. If you offered fifty percent, you'd be paying too much. And other times, if if, the, if their bank is asking twenty grand and the house might be worth twenty five grand, you're really wasting your time because you're going to be competing against offers that are above asking price. So, the the list price is irrelevant when submitting your offer. That would be my comment number one. Number two, my question for you would be: Are you using a real estate agent? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to call the, the people that have them listed, but uh, uh, they don't seem to want to work with me. Well, <laughs> uh, as a listing agent, I can tell you at least perhaps one of the problems you might be having. If you called me and, and wanted to submit, let's just say, half a dozen offers on properties of mine, all at 50% of asking price, uh, I would say to you, well, Billy, how long has this property been on the market? If it's been on the market for a couple of days, don't waste your time or mine. If it's been on the market for six months, Okay, I can understand that you might want to bottom fish a little bit, and you'll probably get a response from a bank. But a newly listed property, don't don't uh, waste your time. And, and the other thing I would go back to is when we were talking earlier about do you want to um, submit your offers directly to the listing agent, or do you want to get yourself a buyer's agent? I would actually encourage someone like you who seems to be submitting a lot of offers to get yourself an agent that's going to represent you because you will probably be better represented than you are doing for yourself right now. And whether that's an agent uh, that you currently know or maybe maybe you submit an offer to an REO agent that you like, use him or and, her. And, yeah. and Billy, I would encourage you to get, get a little bit more educated about uh, property values and repair costs and things like that because I suspect mm -hmm. that as Tom said you're probably over offering on some houses and under offering on others there's there are formulas that people use to decide what to offer on REOs or any other property and it does not involve the asking price it involves the value the repair costs the rent that you're likely to get those sorts of things because uh um, okay. The the reason you're maybe not having a lot of success is that I think you're probably being seen by these agents as someone who doesn't quite fully understand what they're doing yeah. and and in this market, you know, there's there's the the REO agents in particular are busy enough that they're going to kind of go, yeah, next. Okay? Yep. So yeah, Tom, do you have someone you could you could recommend in the area? Uh actually he can't because uh we're on public radio. And that means non-commercial. That means we can't recommend people, unfortunately. But oh, do appreciate okay. your call, Billy, very much. And be yeah, sure to join our fan site at realliferealestateradio.com. Okay, guys, we have two more minutes. I want What I'd like uh, you guys to do is each take 45 seconds and say the thing that most drives you crazy about real estate investors who are making offers on bank-owned properties. Most annoys you. Actually, I can... 
probably answer that question. I'll, I'll, I'll step in here. Uh, one of the things that it, that I it, I wouldn't say that it annoys me, but it's it's somewhat frustrating is uh, the, the example that Billy just gave us. Because here's a guy that probably I, I believe Billy sincerely wants to buy some property, but he's not getting the proper guidance. And if he had an agent that he trusted, he would be so much better served. And as an REO agent, my time would be better uh, allocated, whether I'm representing him or whether he's coming in with an, with an agent. Uh, it's very difficult to deal with buyers who are unclear of how to proceed. Steve, in 30 seconds. I think it's probably the same thing. We've had lots of people that, you know, because it's an REO, want to do a bottom fisher kind of, uh, kind of offer, and they think that's the way to buy property, and it, it isn't. Okay. All right. So I think you just heard it from people who don't have a course to sell and don't don't have any ed- interest in at all, except in 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 getting you all to buy properties that you need education. <sighs> How many times do we have to say it? Go get some education. Also, be sure and join our what our fan site at realliferealestateradio.com uh our now 86 members are all getting to download multiple multiple real life real estate shows and getting to suggest programs and all kinds of cool things so uh get over there and join us at realliferealestateradio.com we'll be back next week with question and answer week and until then happy investing